Hello and welcome to our podcast. We're calling it The Hunch because we believe you get the best ideas from people when they're relaxed, when they're with friends. And rather than giving you the corporate line, they give you their best guess, their gut feeling, their hunch. I'm Mark Schmid, and in each episode, I'll be talking to someone who can give us the lowdown on something that will transform their sector, our society, or even our everyday lives. How do you regard yourself at work? Are you an employee, a human resource, the talent? Businesses describe their people in many different ways. And in this episode, Lisa Barardi tells me why employer brand is crucial in attracting and retaining the talent you need today. So I'm here on The Hunch today with Lisa Barardi, HR Director, and someone I've had some wonderful conversations with in in recent months around the topic of employer brand. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, thank you. Um, So much going on at the moment in terms of how companies and employees interrelate. And uh, I mean, going back a few years, you know, I've been, I've been working a long, long time now. And uh, I think it was probably referred to as personnel. And then suddenly mm-hmm. we started talking HR. And now we're actually recognizing people's uh, crucial uh, contribution and talking talent. Personnel feels like 100 years ago, doesn't it? Um, and now we're a little bit more human about this and calling people people. Um, so my HR career started um, way back when in um, retail and then during a placement year at university, then decided to, that HR was absolutely my field and I absolutely loved what I was doing and definitely wanted to pursue a career in human resources. So um, as most people do, stumbled across an industry that I hadn't really didn't really know much about that was advertising and marketing so I started my career out um, in, for one of the publicist group um, agencies um, I think it was now then known as Starcom Media Best Group so fabulous experience and a real foot in the door into agency life as Mark you'll know um, what that's like and then my most recent I say real job um, company wise was um, for We Are Social so um, the, probably the largest social-led um, agency in the world. Um, and then something crazy happened three summers ago, which sounds wild in itself, that um, I decided to become a consultant. So almost three years ago, set up um, my own consultancy. Um, and now I'm working with a huge variety of different types of clients that span um, marketing, advertising, comms, e-commerce, um, pharma tech, other technologies, startups, um, fintechs. So it's been it's been a wild ride. It's been super interesting. Um, obviously, we've been having conversations off the back of all of those um, experiences, what we've been through in terms of the pandemic and how that's changed the landscape, um, how the entire talent landscape has changed and there's such a war in talent which I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail um so yeah so I'm a complete generalist I cover all aspects of the employee life cycle and what we call HR people culture um so yeah that's it in a nutshell 
it's fascinating, isn't it? Because um, previously, I think, although it was never easy to hire the right people, um, there was a sense that if you were working for an interesting business and you were paying well, you had a reasonably good reputation, then you could fill the roles you needed. And in recent times, for me anyway, I've had more and more people saying to me, and they use the word impossible, um, it's impossible to get the people in we need anymore. Why is it, Lisa, in your view, that so many companies are struggling to attract the people they need? I think there's lots of different aspects to it. I think the pandemic's changed a lot of things for the workplace and for employers and for employees and what's important to them. If we go back two years, 18 months, two years, you you were finding that um, a lot of talent didn't want to move because there was no security. No one knew what was happening in the pandemic. No one knew whether we were going to go into a recession at that point. Um, So job security was important. So as much as people were trying to um, steal talent to um, bring onto their own teams, it was a really, really hard time. What the pandemic's also done (laughs) is uh, it's accelerated how the change in how we work. And I've always said, probably I'm going back about mm, six, eight years, I've always said, the way that we work is going to change. And I think that the pandemic has absolutely been a catalyst in that. And I know lots of businesses that I've worked with, worked for, had to change overnight. Um, And there's been a real shift where the flexibility was never there before in a lot of businesses because there was a lot of presenteeism that they thought they needed in the business. Um, Lots of client servicing businesses um, need, need their teams to be client facing in person also they thought before the pandemic but overnight that changed and no one had any control so business leaders couldn't control what people were doing they had to trust them and I think that was a huge thing um, that changed because they had no choice um, so I think what then happened is what's happened is that now everyone's kind of taken a step back I think there was lots of lines that were blurred during the pandemic I think there was probably a lot of burnout that was happening because no one was able to draw boundaries from, you know, if you if you were physically in the office, you knew that you had a cut off point to leave the office, go home, spend your evening, you switch off, you know, moving from the dining room to the kitchen is is no big thing. So I think that people started to burn out. I think people then reflected around what's important to them. Lots of people I've heard have actually, you know, if we're looking at London based businesses, and I presume it's a lot of the same for lots of cities, is that people decided to move out of London because they wanted more open mm-hmm. space because they've never spent so much time at home and realised actually the necessity for them, themselves around being in more open green spaces. So I think that changed the landscape in terms of what was important to individuals. Now, I think where the war on talent has changed things is that it's really hard to attracts talent where people values and morals and their own personal aspirations are met and I think that's changed we've never considered you know I'll only I only want to go into the office two days a week if there's any more we won't because we've never been in that situation Mm. before but you know you and I for the hundred years we've been working we've always done a Monday to Friday in the office and there was never a consideration that you wouldn't consider a role 
unless it fitted in with your um, own personal plans. So I think that's a few of it. And then I think that we are looking at probably more of a generation now where money isn't as important. We're talking about Gen Z, um, where we have to look at other factors. And I think that's probably also why lots of businesses are struggling because they might not have been able to work out everything in its entirety, whether that's their CSR strategy, people strategy, their diversity, equality and inclusion strategy. They may not have all of those things because one, they might be in the infancy of their business. Two, they might not have the expertise. Or three, they haven't even thought about it. And Mm. when we talk about that, we even then talk about employer branding as well. Mm. So what you're tending to find is a real mismatch of... um, talent and businesses in terms of what they physically need from um, a new job i mean there's so much to unpack there lisa it's, it's fascinating isn't it i mean one, one thing that strikes mm. me and i've certainly seen and heard this uh, as well is when you say that money is not quite as important or, or is not so, the, the sole factor that it used to be on the other hand life is so expensive now and everything okay. costs so much be it you know, for, for the for the for, for younger uh, people that we're talking about here, um, you know, rents so expensive. Even going out and buying your your pals or colleagues a, a round of drinks uh, <laughs> makes your eyes water these days. Um, so, how do we square the fact that money is less important, but actually life is ever more expensive? I think there's a real fine balance. And I think that there are some businesses out there that are trying to retain talent um, as fiercely as they can. And obviously they're going to be really defensive in terms of how they manage to tackle that. And there are only going to be certain amount of ways that you can do that. If it's not through career development, if it's not through social connection, if it's not through um, social responsibility, those kind of areas, um, then I think businesses will throw money at their teams and, I think that it's a short-term solution um, because I think that if you've got a disengaged team member, they they will always leave. But what you're also then doing is pricing them potentially out of the market. So when they are looking for a new role, um, they obviously have a set set salary expectation level, but what might be missing is actually all of that learning and development that underpins who they are, the level they're working at, et cetera. So actually, I think that's why it's a really fine line because it's really it's really tough out there. Mm-hmm. I think something, something that was really interesting that came out of some uh, research that we did as an agency uh, mm-hmm. really surprised me, which is a good thing, um, was we asked uh, a group what they would forego 20% of their salary for. Now, my guess was that if you'd asked that question 10 years ago, there'd be very few people would be willing to, in the next role, give up salary for anything. But we found that 57% of those we spoke to um, would forego 20% of their salary for flexible working. Um, You mentioned L&D, you know, 22% said they would uh, forego salary for the opportunity to learn and progress working for an inspiring team and an inspiring leader were also things that people thought were more important than than salary. So I guess what we're finding is that people's relationship with work is changing. Salary is important, but it's not 
the only thing. Um, and so I get, I guess that brings us to employ a brand, which is an opportunity for a business to present themselves uh, in a way that shows all of the uh, the benefits they bring, all of the the, the cultural um, advancements they might have made. Um, employer brand is a hot topic. You know, when people talk employer brand, what, what what does it mean to you, and, and and how do you think it's best deployed? And it can mean different things to different businesses, but it's ultimately their own PR. It's how are they going to engage future talent um, to the business and ensure that they're doing it in the right places on the right platforms with the right strategies in place. And going back to um, the research that you mentioned that you did, um, I've obviously had a look at it and even looking at that data there, from if, we, if we're looking through the employer branding lens, we've got some really solid data in terms of um, 57% of the group that were um, were asked the questions, wanted their employees to do more for their communities. So these are types of things, that social connection, that's what I was talking about earlier. You know, when we're saying that salaries aren't the main drivers of people anymore, you've got over 50% of this group of Gen Zs that would actually, that's what's important to them. We're also talking 56% want um, their employers to do more for their environment. And another 52% want um, employers to encourage more diversity in the workplace. Now, all of this data is really important, I think, because I think unless you have the expertise in-house, it's really hard to understand what's meaningful for your own culture and your own teams, but also how we're going to project that externally. So you can have all of these strategies, initiatives in place, but actually, if, it's only, if all of that information is only held internally, how are we going to interact with potential candidates? And, you know, employer branding shouldn't be just for today. It should be, we, we are future-proofing the business as well. Um, and I think that, I think where a lot of businesses, from my perspective, from my experience, and when I talk about this, I'm talking predominantly agency landscape, I think it's always on the agenda. Every year, you'll always look at a people strategy and you've got talent attraction. I think where businesses sometimes are unable to really push forward with it is because there's always something else. There's always something that's probably have a client fee attached. The resource internally is used um, on other factors and other projects that um, claim more importance but I think ultimately without a really strong employer brand that reflects who you are as a business your values your culture what your mission is as a business then you're going to struggle you're going to struggle to find the best talent and the talent that are really going to engage with you and you know we talked around working for an inspiring team if there's nothing out there if there's nothing in the ether about your business how are you going to attract people that are inspired to work with you, inspired by the work that you do, not solely for your clients, but uh, for your business, for your communities, for your teams, and how do you grow and develop? So I think it can mean lots of things. And I think lots of businesses may not tackle it because I think it is quite a huge area to kind of, one, understand, two, 
pull together a strategy, three, execute it. And then also, you know, we know there's always a finance person in the background. What's the return on investment? You know, you know, these things do cost time, money, energies. Um, what is the return on investment? And I think it's absolutely huge if you get it right, mm. if you have the right process in place, if you understand what an employer brand is and how you can execute it. I think the return on investment is huge. I guess at a, very simple, at a very simple level for the finance person is uh, you'll doubtless be spending a lot of money on recruitment fees. You'll be spending a lot of money on advertising, all of those uh, kind of real costs for them. And if you have an effective employer brand and you're beginning to um, tell your story well and you're getting people coming to you uh, and you're just having a much more uh, compelling offer for people, then you might be able to bring those costs down uh, quite considerably in in some cases. And then, of course, you have the length of tenure benefits. Uh, You know, we, we know that people these days do and this is this is you know refreshing in many ways they they like having kind of zigzag rather than linear careers they move on uh, more often to kind of to kind of further their ambitions and so from a a bottom line perspective if you have a way through employer brand of uh, attracting and keeping people that little bit longer then yeah as you say the the ROI argument is going to be really strong yeah and to your point mark around the tenure i think a lot of people maybe don't fully understand the true cost of replacing somebody. You talked around recruitment agencies. Okay, that is a figure that they will charge a percentage of their salary. But actually, the cost of offboarding somebody, replacing them, then finding somebody and onboarding them. And then it would take them a good chunk of time to be able to get up to their full capacity of understanding who you are as a business. So you know, as you say, there is a huge potential on the return of investment in lots of different aspects. Um, yeah, the opportunity is massive out there if it's done in the right way. Mm. Mm. Have you heard any horror stories of, of, of people doing it in not the right way? You don't have to name names. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm not going to name names at all. Um, <laughs> don't get me into trouble. Um, no, I I don't think they're horror stories. I think that a lot of businesses think if they tackle one aspect of employer branding, it will do and it's fine. But as you said, it has to be compelling. It has to be out there. That it has to feel natural to the business. No one knows your business as well as you do. So whether we're talking about talent attraction, no offence to any recruiters out there, but they're never going to know your business, your people, your offering as well as you do they can't tell the story in the same way they can't talk about it with the same passion so I think that I think where a lot of businesses do go wrong is if they think that they do one aspect so you know we have a website and on our website we have our values and that's enough you know it's a good starting point absolutely and it should be part of a much much bigger picture but I think that that's probably where a lot of businesses may be put off as well you know well we didn't really see any difference because we've, we've spent a ton of money and a ton of time on a website, it's not driven more traffic. We haven't had any different types of applications come through. So, you know, there has to be a more strategic approach and it has to be a holistic approach across all of the different channels that employer branding touches upon. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting with the channels um, because particularly with the age group we've looked at with this 
with this research, the kind of Gen Z uh, group and going to millennials as well. They, of course, will use a variety of social channels, a variety of non non company websites to find out more about you as a as an employer. How do you think businesses should navigate that? Again, you've got to do what's authentic. You've got to be authentic because that's what's going to stick more. Um, and I think you're right. Absolutely. It's a bit like anything these days. Every, anyone can have a voice on a platform where they're leaving a review, where they're having an opinion. So, you know, you have to have a strategy. You know, there are some business out there that, for example, if we talk, if we take something like Glassdoor as an example, as a reference point for people, people will use lots of different um, platforms, as you say, to kind of suss out the business because, and again, I think it's more you're tending to find people are interviewing the business equally as the business is interviewing the candidates, mm. which I think is really good because it has to be a really good fit or else it's not going to work long term. Um, is that people just ignore it. You know, maybe it's, you know, if we ignore it, no one will really say anything or if we, we don't really know what to say, we can't put our hands up. You know, all of those things we need to address in an authentic way. We also talk when we look at offboarding, the greatest levels of information and data you can get is from your own employees what, what could we have done better how can mm. we improve things how do we make sure that the next person doesn't leave for exactly the same reason and again there is no one size fits all every business is going to be completely different and again it's that authenticity that will attract more people understanding who you are telling the story in the way that you that's natural to your business rather than well, the textbook says we need to do this first, then this, then this. Like, it doesn't work. And I don't think it's ever worked. But, mm. you know, I think it's more and more, in, it, it's imperative now. It's imperative for the future of businesses. It's imperative for the future of talent attraction. Mm. And, and thinking, actually, going back to what you were mentioning at the top around how HR and people strategy ha has changed, Um it does feel that going by the book, as you as you put it, has changed a little bit. And in years gone by, the HR team would have a set of rules and processes they followed and had done for many, many years. And <laughs> there was always a form uh, or a piece of paper that would tell them exactly what they needed to do and when as part of you know someone's career with a company. Just as businesses have become more flexible. Do you think the people functions have become more flexible, more intuitive um, and less reliant on following a set of rules? I think there's a real mixed bag. I think you're always going to have those traditional textbook HR people, as I like to call them, um, in businesses. I think you'll always will because there is a certain type of business. It's a certain type of profession. Um, but I think that you need to be more agile. I think you need to be more creative. I think you need to think out of the box. You know, when we look at, you know, this might be quite controversial, um, when we look at reviews, performance reviews, you know, we shouldn't be looking at reviewing people on an annual basis where we look retrospectively what they've achieved over the last year. We should have in the moment feedback. We should have that continuous feedback so we shouldn't have to look back. Joe Bloggs, last February did this which was really great but last November they did this and that wasn't great um, but we're bringing it up now in the middle of July like 
it's it's not informative it's not relative to the current situation and also you know when we look at when we're looking at the same thing in terms of performance reviews reviewing people at the same time and then you're looking at everybody's progression and career development well we've got a set of people we're going to um promote on the 1st of August wow that's impressive that everyone's at the same stage of their development that everyone gets promoted all on the same day like we have to look at people as individuals. We have to look at them. People are our biggest asset. Any business anyone runs where you have a team, people are your biggest asset. They sell. They're the people that make the business money. They're the people that build the culture. So let's treat them in an individual way. And, you know, there are definitely fresher ways and newer ways that we can look at how we develop our teams and how we grow them in the right way. And as you said, you know, there, there is there is an alternative now there's you know we call them lattice careers you mentioned like zigzagging up the career ladder there is no straight one way but I think that also there is a lack of education at the early years of careers around what types of careers are available and I think that's where schools colleges universities or the educational um, bodies have do a massive disservice to the youngsters because unless you want to be a doctor, a teacher, or a lawyer, those traditional careers, no one really knows what's out there. You know, I've worked in the creative industry for the best part of 20 years now. And if I turned around to, and I have turned around to students saying, you know, you could be a creative, what does that mean? You could just come up with some ideas. What? We, we just come up with some ideas. A designer, I just draw. Well, no, there's more to it than that. But you know, if you that's what you really enjoy, there is no education out there. So again, I think we have to think outside of the box and you have to be more creative. And I'm definitely not one of those textbook HR people. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them before they all come. No, you can, you can say there's something wrong me. with them because, you know, we, we, we can say what we like here, Lisa, and, and be very honest with each other. One of those things you said there made me uh, smile about the uh, everyone being ready for promotion at the same time just because it happens to be the annual cycle I worked for a, a very successful agency and at one point there were 50 people that were announced <laughs> as being promoted on the same day um, and this huge long email obviously after you'd read the first 10 names uh, it kind of went on and on and it stole anyone's thunder or real sense of joy if you were number 50 or 49 on that list one, it was very impersonal, it was an email. But secondly, you worked really, really hard for that promotion. What sense of achievement do you get it when you see that it's 49 other people on the list? I know, it's, it's an odd one. The, the other, again, and this is a, a different uh, a different place, but uh, I wonder if you, you've seen this happen. And I think this is a case of an organisation at the time thinking they could get away with it, and they could, because at the time, uh, the people that were working for them or the selection of them were, were driven uh, by a, a particular thing. So this example is that an agency who wasn't in a position to give pay rises promoted, and I'm doing an inverted commons thing here, uh, half a dozen people by giving them a new job title, no salary increase, no change in their responsibilities. But to my horror, the people involved were delighted they hadn't been promoted. They'd just been given a new job title. But it struck me that for a lot of people, it's a few years ago now, it was all about the ability to say to their friends and family, I'm now a this, insert title here. And um, 
what it meant for them, their own personal pride in the organization. And I appreciate that. But I also think, wow, you've let your employer off the hook. You should be saying, I want to be rewarded for this new role. And exactly what is the new role? What are you expecting of me in the new role? What are my responsibilities? And if they say it's just the same as the as the as the old one with a new name above the door, then you've been had. Absolutely. And that's wild that actually that dozen people were happy with that and they'd been strung along. And again, what does that tell you about the employer? Like I can understand if you're not in a position to be able to be transparent. I think communication is really key in these things. Like no one likes to talk about money unless they want to pay rise, obviously. Then they'll ask you in the part inappropriate places. Um, when am I getting a salary increase? Um, because I'd like to buy a bigger house or for whatever reason they come to you. So Lisa, fascinating to understand all the challenges we're facing as employers and employees in this changing world. What's your hunch? My hunch on this topic, I don't think the battle for talent's going to ease off at any uh, anytime soon. I think that it will continue. And I think the uncertainty of whether we're going to fall into um, another recession, I think will play part of us as well. So I think businesses need to ensure they've got that agility within themselves and their strategies and their mapping to be able to deal with that potential. But I think what it also means is that it also highlights the real importance of employer branding. You have to get it right. You have to be able to future-proof your business through, so we can kind of navigate through those peaks and troughs of the war on talent, recession, things that are out of our control. Um, and I think, I think that's a real key part because I think that will help as a business as you navigate through what your employer branding is. It will also help you navigate through any challenges that you might not necessarily have thought of might not be at the front of your mind because as you're going through that entire strategy you'll start to unravel about who you are as a business in a deep at a deeper level you can look at what's important to your people and obviously your people are your biggest asset as I always say thanks Lisa helping us get employer branding up the top of the list um, clearly huge opportunities but for those that are not embracing it, real challenges ahead. Thanks so much for being on The Hunch. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Follow me, Mark Schmid, or our company, Simmons & Schmid, on LinkedIn or Twitter for news of our next episode.